We are live once again, coming to you from the offices of Albertson and Davidson. We'll give everybody a, a couple seconds to tune in. And in the meantime, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. Glad to be back. We've missed a couple weeks of this. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to our subject matter today. Yeah. We've been off the air for a little bit, but uh, we've been thinking about uh, some things that a lot of people have asked us, get a lot of calls, a lot of questions. So hopefully we can uh, demystify some things today when it comes to trust. So why don't we get started? Uh, welcome to the Stand, Fight, Win live stream, Real Lawyers, Real Answers. I'm Keith Davidson. Stuart Albertson. And we are here today to talk to you about distributions, uh, disclosure and liability, actually. Well, we'll also talk about distributions, I'm sure, but everybody wants to know about getting information out of trust, disclosures, right? How do I, as a beneficiary, know what the heck's going on in the trust? And, and from the trustee angle, how do I communicate what's going on in the trust? Do I have to communicate what's going on in the trust? And the number one um, probably question on every trustee's mind is liability. Am I going to get sued? And if so, am I going to be in trouble or am I doing the right thing, right? So before we get into the questions, though, I want to start by talking about what is an accounting? Because we throw this term around a lot, right? I need an accounting. I asked the trustee for an accounting. I didn't get the accounting or I got some paperwork and I don't know if it's an accounting or not. So maybe we can start by just showing you very uh, quickly what a summary of account looks like. And we have one here on the screen. And basically accountings just come down to chargers and credits. The trustee is charged with having possession of certain assets, that's the top part. So these are this is everything that you start with and all the income that comes in during the trust administration period or whatever the period of account is. And then you have credits. These are the things that the trustee is credited with, such as all the bills that are paid, which are disbursements, any distributions out to beneficiaries, any losses on sale, and then the ending inventory at the end of the accounting period. So you can see that on this uh, piece of paper here, it gives you a summary of everything that came into the trust, into the hands of the trustee, everything that went out of the trust, and then everything that's still in the trustee's hands, and the total charges and the total credits have to be the same. That's, that's how you know you have a balanced accounting. And then uh, beside, behind the summary, there's gonna be sheets, and there's a sheet that covers each of these line items. So there'll be one sheet that talks about, well, what were the items, the assets that were on hand at the beginning of the accounting? What were the items of income that came in? What were the items of expenses and bills that were paid? And you can see a breakdown of all of those things. And that's really a proper trust accounting. You can see those rules on the probate code section 1060 and 16061, they talk about what you need for a proper trust accounting. And so that's what we're talking about. Now, there's times when people will get these weird spreadsheets, right? I got a spreadsheet from the trustee. Is that a trust accounting, Stuart? Well, it's an accounting. Is it the required accounting? Probably not. But it could be enough, depending on the, the case and your relationship with the trustee and what you know. Um, and sometimes you get things like, profit and loss statements and balance sheets, right? Which that's nice for a corporate uh, accounting or a corporate entity, it's, it's no good for a trust. And so it's not what you're looking for when it comes to a trust accounting. 
So we'll get a little bit more into the details of how this works, but I at least wanted to give an overview of what an actual accounting is and uh, before we get started on some of these questions. Yeah, and I think also let's talk a little bit about the tension that we're, we're experiencing here. You've got beneficiaries who uh, mom or dad has died, probably both mom and dad have died, and let's say there's a million dollars that's to be distributed between three people. The beneficiaries, the ones that aren't the trustees, they're beneficiaries, their first question is, when am I going to get my money? And right. that's a natural thing to ask. That's not something that, you know, you're not some kind of a crazy person saying, hey, give me my money. But <laughs> when somebody has a million dollars and one third of it is yours, you want to find out some information about it. You want to know how it's being handled. You want to know what creditors there are or liabilities that are going to have to be paid off prior to the distribution. And then you want to know, when's my distribution coming out? But there's this tension because there's the trustee who doesn't want to make a premature distribution, maybe distribute too much. We've seen that happen before. Uh, so they're, they're scared. And so the beneficiaries start sniping at them. The trustee starts sniping back at the beneficiaries. Lawyers get hired on both sides. And then this logically flows to, let's get an accounting. Let's get a complete picture of what the assets are. What have you been paying for, trustee? Are you taking a trustee's fees? How much have you paid attorneys uh, for to represent you in this? And ultimately, what do we have at hand to distribute out to the beneficiaries when this trust administration is completed? And that's kind of the full picture of what's going on here. And, and again, that tension, that anxiousness is quite strong on both sides. It's for different reasons. The trustee is scared, doesn't want to do the wrong move. The beneficiaries are concerned because some third party's taking care of a whole lot of their money and they want to know when they're going to get it. The trustee refuses to communicate with them, and you can imagine how you would feel if you were a beneficiary yeah. under those circumstances. If I was going to get a third of a million dollars, not only would I want to know when am I going to get it, but I want to know that it's in good hands until I get it. You don't want it in the hands of somebody who's going to take off with it. It's not, you know, it's not as if this is Bank of America where it's like, well, they have deep pockets, and if they mess up, they're going to have to pay me back. And, and, I, and, and in addition, not just to taking off with it, I think there's a lot of trustees out there that really think they're doing the right thing. And they're not. Right. And so they end up right. spending money in places <laughs> right. they shouldn't. I mean, I, I right. just briefly, I, I actually have a, a, a friend that uh, didn't get l a lawyer to help out. There was two trustees, and one of them lived in one state. It wasn't California, and the other trustee lived in California. Well, the trustee in the other state was kind of coerced by the other trustee from California to distribute all the assets out to the beneficiaries. Once they distributed those assets out prematurely, there was still a state claim for uh, Medicare benefits that oh, have been paid geez. during the years for about three or four hundred thousand dollars, wow. and so that had to be paid. But now the money's gone; it's out to the beneficiaries. The trustee yeah. wrote to the beneficiaries and said, "Hey, everybody, contribute back." Yeah. Guess how many? Guess how many people contributed back? <laughs> Zero. And guess who <laughs> had lost their home and oh, had to declare bankruptcy? You're kidding. And the that trustee. was the trustee. And so you're kidding. You can see why the trustees are scared. Uh, but see, yeah. that was a trustee that didn't have a lawyer and right. didn't have advice on what they should be doing. And they didn't know to notify the state entity yeah. that they had taken care of the elderly person for years and years and years. Yeah. Hey, we got to pay them something back. And that could be negotiated, by the way. Yeah. And right. then once it gets paid back, whatever left over can be distributed out to the beneficiaries. Yeah, now the trustee can go after the beneficiaries, but good luck. I mean, what a nightmare that is. Right. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. I think there's a lot happening behind the scenes um, that sets up this. It's, it's, a, it's a trustee versus beneficiary situation. So let's talk about what questions come up and, and let's talk about how we would view these questions and how we would answer them in light of what Stuart just shared with us. So, Kayla. 
How are you today? I'm doing good. Hey, Kayla. Hi. So our first question today is, can a trustee ask a beneficiary or the beneficiaries to waive a trust accounting? And what does it mean to waive a trust accounting? So Keith, I'll have you answer this one, but I'll kick this off with, you're the beneficiary. You know you're going to get that one-third of a million dollars. The trustee's been doing something for the last six months to a year. And they say to you, the trustee says to the beneficiary, I tell you what, I'll make a distribution right now, but I just need you to sign this little easy document that I'm going to send over to you. Yeah. And you're just waiving an accounting, which it's going to cost a whole bunch of legal fees to put that right. accounting together. You know, I sent you an Excel spreadsheet. That should do it. And how should the beneficiary respond to that? Well, a trustee can certainly ask a beneficiary to waive an accounting. There's nothing wrong with asking, I suppose. But what it means to waive an accounting, it, you know, it, it means that you're not going to get that formal document that we looked at at the beginning uh, with all the charges and credits on it. Now, it may come to pass that you don't want that because maybe you got everything that you needed to see. Maybe it everything was held in a a brokerage account, you've got all the brokerage account statements and you feel comfortable that you know what's happening and you don't want a full-blown account, you don't wanna pay for that. That might make sense. But on the other hand, if you're a beneficiary who's been kept in the dark, you have no clue what's been going on and the trustee is not giving you information, not giving you uh, financial account statements, there's no way I would waive an accounting because I at least want to know what the heck's going on. But there is a difference, I will say, between an accounting, which is a very formal thing, a formal document that's prepared, versus information. So sometimes just getting the information is sufficient to the point where you don't want or need an accounting. Sometimes it's not sufficient and you still need an accounting. It depends on the case. It does. And so, for example, if, if your mother passed away and all she owned was a, a piece of real property worth a million dollars and had no mortgage on it, and you knew she banked it, the one specific Bank of America her whole life because she bragged about it every time you came over for Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas or whatever the case is, she loved her Bank of America. She'd go there every day. <laughs> If the trustee were to provide you a statement showing that she had about $300 when she died in her right. bank account, checking account, right. but the home is worth a million dollars, well, you can see that. You can look that up on Zillow and see that the house is worth a million. And then, of course, if somebody buys it, you ask for the HUD-1 statement, right. which is the final disclosure of what's being paid, what's being distributed out, that's probably sufficient. Yeah, in that case, it's probably enough. Or if, if you're going to get a deed to the property, they're just going to deed the property out to you. Great. What do you need an accounting for? I'm right. getting the property. I'll sell it myself. I'll sell it for whatever I think it's worth, and, and right. I'll go on my merry way. So, yeah, there's there's definitely situations where you don't necessarily – where waiving an accounting is perfectly fine. There's situations where it's not fine. But be careful. You would never want to sign a waiver of accounting unless you're uh, sure that you don't want an accounting. And so be sure that you don't want an accounting before you waive it. Or, or you're willing to live with the results. In other words, maybe there are some assets out there that weren't recovered. Well, you're, you're signing that away. So You're uh, signing it away before you – don't sign it away before you become uh, informed is what I would say. Right. All right, Kayla. So how about if we're talking about a probate case? Can an executor ask the beneficiaries of a will to waive the inventory and appraisal? And can they ask them to waive an accounting? And what's the difference between an inventory and an accounting in a probate estate? Well, Keith, I normally wouldn't uh, tee up two questions for you, but it looks like this one was actually <laughs> drafted for you to answer. Uh, I can give an answer. I don't yeah. know how accurate it'll be, but why don't you walk through the difference between an inventory and an accounting? Yeah, why don't we give this one an accurate answer? So I'll answer. All right. Okay. 
Um, so in a probate estate, a probate requires, just by the probate rules, that you inventory and appraise all the assets at the beginning of the probate. Uh, that's really not something you can waive. The court wants to see that inventory, it wants to know what exactly it's dealing with. Plus, that inventory is going to be used to set all the fee bases for the attorney of the estate, the executor of the estate, and creditors. The creditors probably if there are creditors of the estate they want to know what's in the estate so i don't think that you're going to be able to waive an accounting or an inventory pardon me you can waive an accounting in probate if you want to so all the beneficiaries of a probate estate have the right to waive an accounting you have to sign a document saying you waive it they get filed with the court it's pretty much the same as in a uh, trust in other words you can waive it if you want to and if you've been fully informed like we discussed earlier then maybe waiving it's a good thing because it's cheaper and faster to close the estate without an accounting. Uh, but if you're not sure if you want an accounting or not, I wouldn't waive it. I would at least request an accounting. And the difference too is in a probate, the executor must account in order for the estate to be closed. Whereas in a trust, a lot of trusts will actually, in the trust document, it'll say that the trustee doesn't have to account so the set law will waive the accounting requirement in the trust document. A beneficiary can still get an accounting if they want to, but a trust doesn't necessarily have to account in order to close administration the way a probate does. A probate must do an accounting, an executor must do an accounting in a probate estate prior to it closing unless it's been waived in writing by the beneficiaries. And that has to be a waiver by all the beneficiaries. If one with, withholds, then the accounting has to be done. That's right. Let me ask you, uh, on accountings and probate, not regarding trust, but uh, in a probate uh, estate, um, do, does the court require the judicial counsel forms be used on the accounting, or can you use, like you put on the screen earlier, your own form of the charges and credits? No, you can use your own form. There is a requirement. A lot of times people will use the uh, judicial counsel form for the summary part, but for the schedules, they'll still use the regular drafted one that we do. Uh, the, the judicial counsel form is mandatory in conservatorships and guardianships. You have to use that form. In probate, you don't have to, but you can if you want to. And, you know, when I go to court and I listen and we, you know, we show up and we invariably are the last case called in many cases. It never seems to uh, fail. And yeah. we get to watch all the other cases called. It yeah. seems like there's a lot of lawyers that are standing up telling the judge, I need more time. I'm supposed to have the accounting done today, Your Honor. You've given me, you know, eight weeks to do it. I need another eight weeks. And then you go another eight weeks and they, they need another eight weeks. And why are lawyers continually asking courts to extend out these accounting time periods? Well... Because they're tedious to work on and accountings are not fun to work on. And so if the attorney is the one doing it, I mean, first of all, I'm not sure the attorneys are, they're not necessarily the best people to be doing accounting. Some attorneys are, but but most of us aren't. And so it's probably better to hire an accountant, an expert who knows how to do these things. And that's typically what we do is we hire an outside person to do the accounting because that's what they do and they're good at it. There's some paralegals you can hire too that just do this, excellent. right? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Some paralegals are excellent at doing it, and so are uh, so are some uh, CPAs and and different accounting professionals. So part of it is just it, they're 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 not easy to work on, and secondly, the reason they get delayed is you got to gather all the information. So to do a proper accounting, you need every single bank statement from the beginning of the estate until now and every other piece of shred of paper. Well, if you have an executor who didn't keep track of that stuff, now they gotta run back to the banks and get copies, and maybe they're dragging their feet, I don't know. But it can be difficult if you don't have good record keeping to prepare a proper accounting, which is why right from the bat, right from the get-go, 
you should really keep track of every shred of paper you have on an estate or as a trustee because you're going to need it at some point. So just so we're clear, we've been talking about in probate court, when there's a probate estate and it's with court supervision, that's the kind of accounting we've just been talking about. In contrast, a trust accounting, that would just be voluntary or by court order. Is that right? Yeah. So you can do a trust accounting outside of court or sometimes the trustee is ordered to file that in the court. That's a different matter. I suppose you're a trustee. You could just do it on your own if you wanted to. And in fact, most, uh, you know, the probate code says the trustee is required to account once a year. And so outside of court, you don't have to file that with the court. Just give it to the beneficiaries. Right. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about what the best practices are for a, a trustee, but it, it, it mo- usually the default rule is a trustee must account annually unless the trust says otherwise. All right, Kayla, we've, we've been knocking them out of the park over here. Give us another hard one. <laughs> okay, moving back to talking about trusts, if you're a trustee, what if a beneficiary refuses to sign an accounting waiver? So... I can probably take a swing at this one, Keith, and you can you can let me know if I'm headed. Yeah, on. I think so. I mean, you've been in the dating world for a long time, so you've been told no a lot. So <laughs> this this question is effectively what happens when a trustee's been told no. Uh, those are fighting words. <laughs> All right. So um, here, a trustee is saying to the beneficiaries, "Look, will you just waive this? It's going to be an additional cost. The lawyers and CPAs or whoever it is that's going to put this together, it's going to be hundreds and hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars. And so you kind of knew mom's bank statements. I've given them to you as we've gone along. I've given you the Zillow, uh, the, the house is in escrow for this much. And you know, you, you can kind of eye up that I'm being honest here. Do you really want me to go forward and do an accounting? Here's an accounting waiver, please sign it. One of the beneficiaries says, no, uh-uh, you're gonna do an accounting. And so what I would do as a trustee, I would do an accounting. <laughs> Naturally, right. And I would file it with the court because there's nothing better than getting a court to bless your accounting, which they'll order. They'll order that your accounting's approved. And now that's the best insurance policy you'll ever have. And any beneficiary that complains about the fact that you went and spent the money to do the accounting, you can say, hey, there was one person. You say it politely now. Don't act like you're rubbing it in. (laughs) There's one person, one beneficiary that objected. And so I want to make sure I'm being completely transparent as the trustee here to show that I've done all of my, I've met all my duties as a trustee and I'm making sure you guys are getting what's ever left after all the creditors have paid off. And I want the court to bless that. So when the trustee does that and takes the action that you suggest there, um, who's going to pay for that? The trust is. Well, really, it's the beneficiary that's objecting because if you think about it, it's, it's everybody's going to pay for it, but that beneficiary as well. So if there's three beneficiaries, it, that beneficiary that's objecting is paying one-third of the attorney's fees, of the CPA fees. And also, don't forget, the trustee's probably going to ask for fees. For being a trustee, there's additional fees for them to run to the bank and get the statements. And so all of those people are going to be billing against the trust assets, and that's effectively one-third of the beneficiary that objected if there's only one out of three objecting to signing a waiver of accounting. And is the court going to allocate all of the costs to just that one beneficiary's share? More than likely not. I guess in a really egregious case, I can see the court doing that, but I think the court's just going to Every you know, an accounting is going to come off the top of the trust assets, right? And you know, it kind of benefits everybody to be completely brought up to speed and have a transparent view of what's happened. So I don't think the court would allocate it to just one beneficiary. That's not a bad. It's not a nefarious act for a, a one beneficiary to say, you know, the other two beneficiaries know you, they're friends with you. I'm not. 
I, I want to have full disclosure, give me an accounting. That's not, that's not an insult, it's just they want to make sure that everything looks right. That's a really good point. That doesn't necessarily mean that the one beneficiary is being difficult or trying to block something. It could be that they just honestly want an accounting and hey, they're entitled to it. Right. But the trustee's also entitled to, to do an accounting and file it with the court and seek court approval, so. Right. That's how the, that's, that's right. how it works. I could I would I could even see the case where three beneficiaries are telling the trustee don't do an accounting, don't do an accounting, and the trustee's like, look, you all are crazy. You guys litigate over everything. <laughs> I'm doing an accounting. I'm doing an accounting. Yeah. And I'm going to file yeah. that with the court, yeah. whether you want me to or not. And if I get surcharged for that, hey, it's worth every penny because right. I want to make sure you guys know I did my job. Yeah, and we used to have a paralegal that worked here who would say that getting court approval on accounting is the gold standard for right. protecting liability, and it really is. I mean, once you get the court order, you're golden. That's right. That's true. All right, Kayla. Kayla, are you okay on that one? Yes. Okay. So, so. <laughs> uh, so the next question is, what documents should be provided to the beneficiaries along with the trust accounting, if any? Well... <laughs> this is an interesting question. I think this is where trustees make huge mistakes. Yes. Big, big mistakes. Yes. So what normally happens when you get an accounting steward? What what are, what are you what did most beneficiaries provided with when it says here's the accounting? Just an accounting with no underlying documents. Right. And what good does that do you? It gives you an idea of what's going on, but what do you really want to see? All the bank statements, all the backup data. I want to see the bank statements, the financial statements, the closing statements, if real property's been sold, if there's gains and losses, I want to see those. I want to see everything that backs up the accounting. Okay, so and let's let's show everybody what happens here. I'll be the trustee, okay. you be the beneficiary. All right. I just provided you with the accounting. Okay. What are you going to ask me for? Can I see no. all the Bank and financial. No. Can I see the closing no, statement? No, you're not entitled to that. My <laughs> lawyer told me you're not entitled to that. I'm not giving it to you. Can I see the canceled checks? No. Okay. No. What? You, you're insulting me. You don't. You think I would steal from the trust? No. Now you. Now you want to fight? You got one. <laughs> right. And if you challenge me, you're going to be disinherited. I've, no, that one. That's, okay, so let me let me run you through that. This, by the way, is not accurate, but we hear this a lot from trustees. And there's a no contest clause in the trust, and if you challenge my accounting, you'll lose everything. Right? Is that true? Is that what will that happen? That is so incredibly false. I, I just, the reason I have no hair is because I bowl my hair out every time I hear people say that, and they always ask. He actually has a lot of hair. It's just that, not on his head. That's true. Yeah, yeah. The back <laughs> is doing great. So. <laughs> The where was I? But it drives me nuts when Have you trustees. Ever seen a chia pet? Yes, yes, in real life, it drives me nuts when trustees say this because beneficiaries believe it. They do, and, and it's scary to think about. It is scary. Like if I was a beneficiary and I didn't know, I'd probably believe it. And right. if, if I've got, you know, one third of a million, like the example was on the line, I'd be concerned. So let's be clear about this. And this wasn't the point of today's broadcast, but no contest clauses. If you're challenging a trustee's actions that they're required to take under the terms of the trust, they're required to do something like make a distribution to you and fail to do that, and they tell you, well, I'll have you disinherited if you challenge me, you will never be disinherited for that under the no contest clause. It's against social policy. Yeah, it's just not even, it, it, even if the no contest clause says that, it's not gonna happen. The no contest clause will be held against you in three circumstances, which we're not going into today, but it's if you're trying to change the terms of the trust. The if the trust it, says yeah. you're supposed to get 20% and you say, no, it should be one third. Well, now that's where the no contest clause comes in. But when the trustee is supposed to do something on your behalf, either under the trust terms or under the probate code, 
and they choose not to, and you challenge that in court, you're not going to lose your inheritance for that. Although you should always see an attorney as a caveat. Never do something on your own. Always see a lawyer before you file anything with a court because you don't want to walk into one of the landmines that causes you to trigger the no contest clause. Right. So going back to this question then, if you're advising a trustee, Stuart, and the trustee gave an accounting, beneficiary comes back and says, I'd like to see all the bank and financial statements. What's your advice to that trustee? I would overproduce. And, and you know, I, maybe I would ask the trustee, what's your, you know, when I'm talking to my client alone, what's your discomfort with turning over the trust? Are you afraid of the, you know, the trustee, I had a trustee once tell me they were so embarrassed because they went to buy a gallon of milk and the only checking account they had in their purse at that point in time was the trust account. So I think it was $3.50 for a gallon of milk. That was the only thing they did wrong in the entire accounting. And they were afraid to produce documents because they saw that. And I was like, hey, yeah. <laughs> produce that. Yeah, okay. we've, we've seen way worse. Yeah, we, no we'll pay 20% interest <laughs> yes. on the $3.50 <laughs> right. and make up for that. But right. you, you have to ask them, why are you uncomfortable with us turning these documents over? Because let me ask you this, Keith. Let's say that I tell you as a lawyer, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the bad lawyer over here, you're the good lawyer, which rarely happens. I tell you, no, I'm not going to give you the underlying documents. And you file a petition in the probate court against me, are you going to get those documents? Oh, yeah. Not only am I going to get the documents in discovery, I'm going to subpoena the banks directly and get them. And I'm going to be so happy that you refuse to give them to me because you're going to look like a complete and utter, utter fool yeah. in front of the court. Right. And my client's going to look like golden right. because we asked for them and they wouldn't give them. Right. Now, and when I'm making allegations that the trustees breaching their duties and not disclosing and not communicating, they should be removed. It just strengthens my argument because in fact, I did ask for this stuff and you refused. That's right. So every time a trustee refuses a reasonable request for information, it just strengthens the beneficiary's case. And so I, I always, I don't understand it. I don't understand why trustees do this. I think, I have to think that for individuals, maybe it's because we're not used to, like if I came up and asked to see your personal bank accounts, you'd say no. Okay, well that makes sense. I have no right to see those. And so maybe we're just used to that. I don't know. I don't understand why trustees are so reluctant to disclose trust information when it's their liability that's on the line. Right. And what better way to protect yourself from being sued right. or from a successful a lawsuit being successful than to overdisclose? That's right. I mean, go above and beyond. That's right. I would even, you know, paginate, tab. I would do everything. So Here you go. Easy. And have at it. And I get to, I get so disappointed when I'm representing beneficiaries when a trustee does that because right. it just it, it kills my case. Right. I can't go after the trustee now because they're being completely reasonable. Right. Yeah, if I had uh, any. We mostly represent beneficiaries here, so this may seem like a self interest self interested statement, but I wish trustees would just disclose everything, even when it comes to trust contests. Right. You know, when you ask for previous versions of a trust or previous amendments or right. and they say, no, the probate code says I'm, I don't have to give that to you. Well, they're technically correct. After a person dies, you have a, a trustee has 120 days to get you the current version of the irrevocable trust. Right. Right. But there may be other versions of the trust previous to that that other beneficiaries may want to look at, especially if you send them a statutory notice letting them know they have 120 days within which to attack the final trust document. And we've asked attorneys many times, can we see the previous 
amendments. Well, I'm not required to give those to you. I, I, I know you're not, I can read, I can read the probate code. <laughs> I know you're not required to give that to me, but you know what you're gonna have me do now. I'm gonna file a petition and then we're gonna do discovery. And oh, and by the we'll way, get it. I'm not gonna be in a good mood now. <laughs> yeah, so right. I may right. want to look into other things right. that I'm curious about as to how your trustee has been acting. Well, and the argument usually goes, I don't wanna show you the earlier amendment because then you'll, you'll sue. Well, if you don't show it to me, I'm gonna sue too. So you might as well just show it and we'll figure out, because if you show it to me and it's not a good lawsuit, I'm not gonna sue. That's true. Yeah, I almost feel like if you just take the position, hey, you guys do what you want, here are the documents. Right. If you guys are gonna sue, sue, but there you go, you can take a look at it. But if you don't give it and, and we know it's there, then we're, well, I just assume you're hiding something and we're right. gonna go after it and right. we'll get it. Once you file a lawsuit, you'll get it. All, All right, right, we got off it. on another tangent, but. So if you're a beneficiary and you ask for bank or financial statements and the trustee refuses to provide them, how do you go about obtaining the bank and fi financial statements? Well, we just talked about that. And let's file a lawsuit. Yeah. And then you have issue subpoenas. Issue subpoenas. You've got uh, the subpoena power. You can also send over document demands to the trustee uh, in written discovery. Uh, and then you can... One of the most joyous occasions in my my life is taking a trustee deposition yes. and asking them to bring documents as well to their yes. deposition. So, but you started all of that with you have to file the lawsuit first, yes, right? And so right. I think that's where people get a little frustrated. Is but isn't the beneficiary entitled to these documents? Yes. Then why can't I just get them without filing a lawsuit? Because you're not the legal owner of them. The trustee is the legal owner of those documents until a distribution has been made to you, and then you can take that money and it becomes yours and you can do whatever you want with it. So the only way to force the information is through subpoena power. And the only way to get subpoena power is to file a lawsuit. You gotta have a lawsuit file before you can do discovery in California. Discovery, whether written, deposition, subpoenas, right. yeah. So. Get the, get the lawsuit on file, go after them. And again, you're not in a good mood now. And also, <laughs> not only are you not in a good mood, but you're thinking there is something nefarious going on. So you're gonna turn over every stone, look under every stone to see what's going on here. Why didn't they wanna give me these very, in my mind, very easy to give documents that shouldn't raise any questions whatsoever? Well, in our experience, most judges don't appreciate the fact that when trustees don't share relevant and reasonable information either. So not only are we not gonna be in a good mood because right. now we're filing, we're gonna go after this trustee, but I guarantee you the judge isn't gonna like you either. Right. Well, and, and for young attorneys out there, even old attorneys, middle-aged attorneys, every attorney that's doing this, um, one of the mistakes I made early on is I would always push for the accounting and I would push, push, push. And I would, you know, I have a right to an accounting and I would write letters. And ultimately I'd get an accounting about six months to a year after I really wanted one. And then I'm looking at the accounting going, this accounting doesn't make sense. I probably should file a lawsuit and get the underlying documents. Right. Well, what if I had just simply filed a lawsuit right. six months ago, nine months ago, I would have already had subpoenas out. And back. And back. And the accounting that you receive from the other side is not the holy grail. No. It's their version of the underlying documents. And that's all it's ever gonna be. And a lot of times, you know, clients will say, well, how come you can't make the trustee file the right accounting? Look, the trustee files what they file. That's right. And it's up to us to then go and show why that's wrong. That's right. You can't force a trustee to file a better accounting. Their accounting is their accounting. What really tells the tale is the underlying documents. So right. go get them. Right. All right, Kayla. Man, that was like a grand slam. <laughs> so what's the difference between a waiver of accounting and a release of liability? Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah. I'm gonna leave that one to you because it's hard. <laughs> okay. it makes my brain hurt. I'll see if I can do it. All right. 
So a waiver of accounting is you a very put, put on your lawyer hat. I know. That's, <laughs> had somebody tell me that once. <laughs> I um, think you were an associate. I was you? Yeah. a new associate. But you know, <laughs> I probably was asking dumb questions as you know young attorneys do. Yeah. So you got to learn somehow, right? Yeah. So um, a waiver of accounting is a very narrow issue. It's a very narrow request, which is you you're entitled to an accounting. I just want you to waive that right to an accounting. And even a waiver of accounting doesn't mean that you're waiving your right to information. There's all sorts of information you're entitled to. You're not waiving that even. You're just waiving a, a, a formal accounting. So it's a very narrow thing that you're doing. A release of liability is much more broad. On a release of liability, what, you're, what the trustee is asking you to do as a beneficiary is, you know, all these duties and liabilities I have as a trustee, I want you to agree that I haven't violated any of them and everything I've done is completely fine and you're not gonna sue me later. That's a, that's a much bigger issue because unless you know exactly what that trustee has been doing and you understand what's been going on, releasing a trustee from liability is a very broad thing to do. So you wanna be very careful about that. I'd be less worried about waiving an accounting because even after I waive an accounting, I still have right to information, I still have right to sue the trustee if they do wrong. I'm just not gonna get a formal accounting. I'd be really uh, cautious about signing a release and you, don't, you do not wanna sign a release unless you know what you're doing. You know, the good news there is that's exactly how I would have answered that, <laughs> word for word. Good, All right. I looked at your notes. Okay. So can the trustee ask the beneficiaries to release them from legal liability? And what does it mean exactly to sign a release? So a trustee can ask a beneficiary just about anything, I suppose, uh, including asking for a release of liability. Uh, the one thing we have to keep in mind here is I think the probate code has several provisions in it. One in particular that says, if you haven't done a meaningful disclosure to beneficiaries and you get a general release from them, you still may be on the hook. Let's say that you fraudulently, intentionally hid from them some things that you did to benefit yourself to the tune of several hundred thousand dollars and they give you a general release, I don't think that you're gonna be able to get out of that general release. What say you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the code says that if you haven't made a disclosure of all material facts that would relate to the release, then the release isn't going to work, you can set it aside. And then the other issue is, is if, if the trustee says, I'm not gonna distribute any money to you unless you first sign this release, that's also a way in which a release can be set aside. And I've, I've set those releases aside, I, and Stuart has too. I mean, it's not hard. It's not hard. A court will set that release aside quite easily. Yeah, a trustee can't hold assets hostage to get a general release. And Yeah, and that makes sense, right? Because otherwise every trustee would do that, right? naturally. These general releases have to be approached carefully. There has to be a reason that you would release a trustee of liability. And yes. I think the answer here, like you say many times, is it's no until there's a reason to say yes. That's right. That's right. And you might want to release a trustee from liability just because you don't want them to go and do a court-approved accounting, which is what a trustee would do if they don't get a release. They would go to court on a court-approved accounting. Maybe you don't want to pay for that. Maybe you feel comfortable with it. If you sign a release after being informed, that's one thing. But if you're signing a release just because you need to get a check from a trustee and they're demanding you sign it to get that check, that's, all, that's another oh, that's universe. That's a red flag, yep. huge red flag. Yep. All right. So if a trustee can't hold assets hostage in order to get the beneficiaries to sign a release, then as a trustee, what's the best way to get the beneficiaries to sign a release? That's a really good question. I mean, there's some, there's some, there's some 
ways to go about asking for releases that are better than other ways, right? And so how would you advise a trustee? Disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. I mean, be completely transparent, be honorable, don't be chippy with the beneficiaries. They have a right to be concerned about the fact that you're managing their money because they know that you probably don't care about it the same way they do. Right. And so if you are just completely transparent, you answer their questions, you disclose anything they ask for, don't give them any reason to want to object or give you a hard time, you might get that release. So give them copies of everything you have, get, you know, give them a, 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 you know, email them a report of everything you've been doing. And the other thing I would say is give them a preliminary distribution. Give the beneficiary some money before you ask for that release. Yes. Because one of the ways to set aside the release is you held money hostage for the release. Well, if I already gave you money, right. now I weaken that argument. You can't say that I'm holding money hostage. Right. And then what I would do is I would send the release to the beneficiary along with another check preliminary distribution saying, here's a check, here's a second preliminary distribution, and would you voluntarily release me so I can close up the estate? Or I'll have to do an accounting, your choice. Your choice. Yeah, I think, I think what I would do here if I was a trustee is I would, I would immediately put all the beneficiaries on monthly statements on the bank accounts. Yes. When they're issued to me, they're issued to you. Uh, if I got a listing agreement that comes uh, on a house that I'm going to be selling for the trust, that's going out to the beneficiaries and I'm asking them, hey guys, what do you think about this? Does this look like something good for, for me to enter into? I'm happy to enter into it. In fact, I do a notice of proposed action. Right. Um, just disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. And then at the end of it, you say, look guys, I feel like I've done a good job. I've done my best. If you would like, you can sign this general release and I can, I can distribute everything out and close the estate up. Uh, otherwise, I have to do a full-blown accounting with the court, which it's really your choice. You tell me how you want me to proceed. Boy, beneficiaries under those circumstances, more than likely are going to say, where do I sign? You've done a good job. Let me get my money. It's interesting that you say that you would have the beneficiaries take a look at like a sales contract before you sell a house because a lot of times beneficiaries will say, well, they sold the house and they didn't even ask me. Well, technically, a trustee doesn't have to ask a beneficiary. That's they right. can sell real property without asking the beneficiary anything. Right. But why would you? I mean, now you're putting yourself in an, you're already in an adversarial position, but you're making it worse versus you could do better by disclosing it and even asking for the beneficiary's input. You don't have to follow it necessarily, but getting their input's huge. Well, nothing requires you as a married man to take your wife on date night at once a week, right? <laughs> nothing requires you to do that. But when you do that, do good things happen? Yeah, you, yes. get, you, get, you get some extra points. Get some them. extra points, yeah. yes. Yeah. So I think the same thing here, just because you're not required, and we do hear trustees say time and time again, no, I'm not required to do that. Right. Okay, true, you're not required to do that, but boy, if you did it, Man, I might want to date you. You know, yeah. we might be able to. You right. know, we might be able to get along. That's here. a prize for anybody. It's a prize. It's a prize. Uh, that's not supposed to scare you. That's Did you say surprise? To, yeah, that too. <laughs> it's a surprise. But yeah, I think that goes back to your overdisclosure comment at the very beginning, which is just overdo it, and that's how you protect yourself from liability as a trustee. Right. You have any other questions, Kayla? One more. What steps would a trustee take if the beneficiaries refuse to sign a release? And I think we've covered that in the sense that what you would do is you'd have to go to court on a, an accounting. Well, there's two things you could do, actually. One is you would do a proper formal trust accounting. You'd file it with the court. And once the court approved that accounting, then the beneficiaries can't come back and sue you for anything that was disclosed in the accounting. The other thing you could do is not go to court, simply close up the trust administration. But then 
there's going to be a uh, most likely a three-year statute of limitations in which you can be sued. And if you've already distributed all the money, which you're required to do, then you won't have any money left in the trust to right. even defend yourself. So that's not great. The third thing is uh, in under the probate code, and the trust has to have this language, it says that you're allowed to send out an accounting to the beneficiaries without going to court. Just send it to the beneficiaries. And they have 180 days within which to object. And if they don't, then that closes the statute of limitations. Those terms have to be in the trust. And, that, and let me ask you this. And we, in the accounting. And in the accounting. That's a good point. And, the, and that's true. You want to put the trust, you want to put the beneficiaries on notice that that's in the trust. Yeah. The other thing is every once in a while we'll see an accounting that says uh, 120 days and the trust terms say 120 days. So if you look at the probate code, it says 180 days. Which days are going to win? It can't be shorter than 180 days. And you'll see some older trusts where it says 90 days. The beneficiaries have 90 days to contest uh, an accounting. That doesn't apply either. Any any time period that's less than 180 days is automatically extended to 180 days under the probate code. But that's the other way. So if you send out an accounting to the beneficiaries after 180 days, but that's still not as good as the court order because with the court order, it's what we call race judicata. If somebody tries to sue later, you can literally kick that lawsuit because you have a court order approving your actions. So Unless you get that court order in Riverside <laughs> and then someone goes and subsequently <laughs> files against you in San Diego. Yeah, we had a case like that. That was a wacky. But, you know, you get wacky results every now and again. That happened once out of hundreds and hundreds and, of cases. And, that, and that's but, an inside joke here. Keith's uh, pronouncement is right. Once you have that court order, you're going to feel pretty good about that. That's the best. But if you don't want to do that, you can go with, you know, either waiting three years. But, by the way, a lot of times trustees will say, well, I have a three-year statute of limitations. I'm going to keep the money for three years and then distribute it after that. No, no, no. You have to distribute it out. You right. can't hold it for three years. You know, one other option that many people don't think about, I don't think, when they come to see us is if you're named as trustee, do you have to act? No, you don't. You can you can turn it down. It's a voluntary position. There's nothing that mandates that you act just because you're named. And, of course, we would strongly recommend that you do turn it down because being a trustee is a thankless job. I would not do it um, except for, you know, people I'm particularly close to maybe. But... It's a very thankless job. Leave it to the professionals. And I don't know why a lot of times people are reluctant to want to use either a corporate trustee or a private professional trustee. But these people are really good at what they do if you find a good one. And, um, and, and they're professionals and they do it all the time. This is their line of work. There's really nothing wrong with that. And right. some of the best cases we see that are handled properly are either corporate trustees or private professional trustees. That's and right. the ones where we have the biggest problems are individuals because a lot of individuals don't know the rules and they don't care to learn them. Sometimes even well-meaning individuals. Yeah, right. They can have the best of intentions, but if you don't know the rules and you're not willing to study up on what the rules are, you're in big trouble. Any other questions, Kayla? That's it for today. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Kayla and Manisha, for helping us out today. Thank you, Stuart, for your uh, good looks. Wow. Wonderful answers. I'll take it. I'll take it. That's the first time I've been told that in years. Yeah, probably the last, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait, let, let me bathe in that. Yeah, yeah, again. soak it in. Uh, you can always find a recorded version of this live broadcast on uh, YouTube and Facebook, and you can also find an audio-only version of our podcast on podbean.com. I want to thank you for joining the Stand Fight Win pod, uh, live stream. I keep calling podcast.